Listeners, uh, we are back with a brand new season of Free Podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about, boy, new season on uh, calling it Crossing Over. We'll, we'll see if that that name sticks between now and the end of the episode and when well, it gets edited. Wasn't that a bad CBS show? It probably, probably it, it sounds like it would I know. Be. I know I didn't narrow it, it down. It sounds like something that would have aired on like Saturday night on NBC yeah. in the 90s. Like right. after Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah, right. Yeah, we should do a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman episode. Uh, we are going to talk about Twilight Zone directors, people who started in Twilight Zone. We'll get into that more. But we're talking about starting with Cool Hand Luke. We're going to talk about the director, Stuart Rosenberg. Obviously, we got to talk about Paul Newman. Some of the Cool Hand Luke's a fun movie to talk about. And, uh, you know, probably a little bit about uh, New Hollywood coming out. So, uh, you know, strap in or whatever people do. Put the headphones on tight. Right? Uh, That's what you should do. Make the sure that earbuds are in good. Also, I was thinking of Crossing Jordan. That's a different show. Shh! Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Midnight Boys Present a Free Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my egg-loving friends, Joe and Duff. I don't like hard-boiled eggs. Me neither, man. Man, it stinks so bad in here from the 50 hard-boiled eggs I ate. (laughs) Here's the thing. We have chickens, and really the only... Like, I'm very... I'm very particular about how I like my eggs. There's, there's very few ways I like to eat them. It's essentially hard scrambled is like 98% of the way I'll eat an mm. egg. In a quiche. I'll eat it in a quiche. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> Are you 87 years old? What, the quiche part or the hard and scrambled just part? Just everything. All of the above. I don't like my eggs to be eggy. You give me runny egg and I will vom. It's disgusting. You'll cool hand puke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's my. That's why I like them. I like them runny. I, I don't think there's any way I don't like eggs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not like Rocky, where you just put them into a glass and drink them. I like. Have you guys ever tried that? No. No, I would not uh. do that. I mean, listen, Joe. You've seen me in real life try to eat a hard-boiled egg in a quick way, and it is, it is a, a travesty. I could never eat fifty eggs. I would. Well, every, <laughs> I mean, everything. We'll get to the plot I, of the movie. I later. honestly, you brought it right up right off the bat. I think that's the ultimate indictment of this film, is that that's what everyone remembers about it is that some idiot ate fifty eggs. Yeah, <laughs> like that's I, that in that one that line. Yeah. It's the only two things anyone remembers about this movie. Oh, I don't think that's true. That like, I mean, that, that's the in the zeitgeist. Like that's right. If you mention Cool Hand Luke, everyone's like, oh, eating hard boiled eggs. Right, yeah. I mean, it is hard-boiled eggs and the failure to communicate. I mean, those would be the two big things. Yeah, um, you can thank, thank Guns N' Roses for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, imagine, like, if you do, if you just knew nothing about this movie, so your only awareness of it was from, like, the, you know, the, yeah, the pop culture references that got made. Right. It sounds like the dumbest movie that's ever been made. <laughs> yeah, and, I think, and I, let's, let's, and, let's and circle yeah, well, back to that. I'll, I'll complain about this movie later. Let's circle back to that, because I do, I do... I do find it fascinating about what is mem- was like what is in pop culture because of Cool Hand Luke versus um, what this movie feels like is actually about in my mind. Um, 
All right, so what are we doing? We got to introduce the season. That's what we have to do. We're going to talk about Cool Hand Luke. Um, it should only take Rob about 15 minutes to explain all oh, this. So just relax, everyone. <laughs> First off, I felt a lot of pressure, and I'm not just I'm not just blowing smoke here. <laughs> he's not just he's not just chewing eggs, folks. Yeah, I'm not just yapping my gums over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Last... He's not slowly unhinging his jaw and swallowing <laughs> hard-boiled eggs whole. We, you know, we, we do these seasons here at uh, a free podcast, and uh, we take turns. You know, everyone kind of takes turns crafting them. And I felt this way for a while. I'm sure everyone feels this way. Uh, whenever it's my turn, I always think, "Boy, this isn't as good as the other ones that uh, <laughs> Joe and Doug came <laughs> came up with." And uh, I feel like with uh, Duff's going online season and Joe's work suck season, I thought, "Hey, they were good." I know because I was there, uh, <laughs> uh, and I edited, uh, you know, a half them or so, or you know, a third to a half. And uh, you know, people, listeners, they they say things to me. And they say, oh, it was a really good season. And I say, oh, I, I agree. Thanks for listening. I don't assume people listen. Just assume people subscribed and forgot, like Netflix um, <laughs> uh, and OnlyFans. Um, but, hmm. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? What is this about? Well, ultimately, I decided two things happened. One, I started watching The Twilight Zone with my son. He's nine. And uh, I'm watching it because, A, I thought he would enjoy it, which he absolutely does. Oh, my God. And then, B, it's also, like, a pretty big blind spot for me. I was going to say, and C, because I told you to years ago. Yes. I <laughs> hey, And I proved it to you, Duff. I had an email you sent me. It's still right here. From February 8th, 2019. And Duff sent me uh, simpler Joe, times. Uh, six episodes that I should watch of Twilight Zone. So, okay. So I started watching it. And then as I was also uh, – deep diving and researching another season idea that I quickly abandoned. So what happens is I was like, oh my God, these shows, Twilight Zone is awesome. It looks incredible. I mean, I'm watching uh, Blu-ray versions of these and they look amazing. And then I started like, you know, thinking about a lot of the great, uh, a lot of great actors worked on this show, but a lot of the directors. So I was like, oh my God, what if we do one based off directors? And then I got all excited and I put it together and that's where we are now. So, I want to talk about cool movies, and I want to have a way to theme them. And the theme is, uh, like I said, crossing over, because uh, A, that's something they say in uh, some of the seasons, like a little intro on Twilight Zone, about crossing over to the Twilight Zone. B, these directors either crossed over from film to TV or from TV to film. And, uh, and I just think it's interesting to explore that. So, we are starting with Cool Hand Luke. And the reason we're talking about Cool Hand Luke, which came out in 1967, is because Stuart Rosenberg directed this movie, and he had directed three different episodes of Twilight Zone, um, including I Shot an Arrow into the Air, which is season one, He's Alive, and Mute, which are season four. Now, I have not had the chance to watch every Twilight Zone episode, so what I have done to give sort of a shorthand to things that people hear is I found a, a list from Paste Magazine where someone, some person, uh, they ranked all 156 episodes of Twilight Zone. So I'm going to tell you where these episodes ranked in these rankings just to give you an idea of what are we talking about, top tier, mid tier, bottom tier, what are we talking about? Mute 
is 85th, He's Alive is 80th, and I Shot an Arrow Into the Air is 69th. Um, so I watched I Shot an Arrow Into the Air, which uh, is it safe, guys, to spoil an episode I mean, the, of Twilight Zone? The statute of limitations has long expired, and anyone who's a Simpsons fan has had most Twilight Zones spoiled for them if they watch the Halloween episodes. And, uh, you yeah, know, so true. Twilight Zone aired from 1959 to 1964. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been long enough. I think the fact that it's <laughs> well over 50 years um, makes it safe. Okay. I shot an arrow into the air. Here's what happens. Uh, Duff, uh, let me know if, you, if you're familiar with this episode. Um, we have uh, a, a spaceship goes off, launches. Everything seems fine except it disappears. Ground control, mission control doesn't know where it is, what happened. So then we, uh, you know, we go to the astronauts, and there's three that are living. The, they had crashed, and they're on this planet, and it seems uh, uninhabited, and they don't have much water. And the three that are alive, panic starts set in essentially with one of them, who ultimately decides to hell with it. We only have five gallons of water. If I'm going to survive, I need all that water. So throughout the episode, he eventually kills the other two astronauts. Only to discover, as he's walking along the planet, that they are not on another planet. They just happen to crash about 60 miles uh, away in the desert. And womp, womp. Uh, <laughs> hmm. and he had simply just killed two astronauts out of sheer panic. And, uh, you know... That's a typical Twilight Zone episode where something happens. It's really well done. It's interesting. Uh, most of the seasons are like 23-minute episodes, and then you're like, oh, big twist. Uh, and uh, so that's a 69th-ranked episode. Solid episode. Duff, I don't know if you remember that episode. or uh, I think I remember it. Uh, the, the, uh, the twist of it's Earth when you thought it wasn't Earth or vice happens versa. a few Th- times. Th- that well uh, reappears. <laughs> right. Right. So, Stuart Rosenberg directed that. Fast forward to, you know, roughly um, seven years later, eight years later, he directs Cool Hand Luke, which, as we talked about at the beginning, is a movie that is in the zeitgeist quite a bit. It's a big deal movie. It's, it's actually, I would argue, a movie where generally, when the three of us are talking about what we want to talk about, Sometimes it's like, what are we going to say about Cool Hand Luke, right? Like this would be on, this movie would be in that list, I would say. Yeah, I think that's safe. Um, the problem is, the other big name movie that Stuart Rosenberg did, we saw and watched um, on um, our paid podcast at patreon.com slash the Midnight Boys was the Amityville Horror, which uh, sucks. That movie sucks. <laughs> this yeah. this is a much better directed film. I'll say that. Yes. Um, so um, we're not going to talk about Amnesia Horror. I didn't want to talk about Vo- Voyage of the Damned. I just whatever. We're talking about Cool Hand Luke. Voyage of the Damned is a kick-ass title, though. It yeah. sure is. It sure is. Um, okay. So what happens to Cool Hand Luke, guys? Do you want me to kind of like? Do you want me to kind of go through this, or or Joe or Duff? Do you just want to say quickly in general what occurs? Pretty, uh, I'd say I'd say the answer is not much. Paul, I, I'm I'm really shocked to hear you're not a Cool Hand Luke fan, Joe. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. You can summarize it. Okay. So Cool Hand Luke is a prison movie, which uh, we'll get to because I do have a question. What happened to prison movies? Feels like that was a big subgenre that seems most. It seems like it mostly gone. 
Uh, but, okay, so it takes place um, in the 50s, and we see um, we see Paul Newman as uh, Cool Hand Luke, and he's drunk, and he's just like, <laughs> he's just hammered cutting parking meters off their poles. Yeah, he's which, got uh, an industrial metal cutter of some type. I don't know right. what it is. Just, you know, just doing stuff. Probably shouldn't be doing. He's drunk, whatever. And I quite honestly was shocked to see he gets sentenced to go to prison for two years for that. Victimless crime. Yep. He got sentenced to hard labor on the Florida chain gang. Well, someone has to fix all those parking meters. Well, <laughs> you know. Okay. You got me there. Um, it's probably annoying, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they had to order new ones. Um, so we, he, he shows up. You're right. In a chain gang. There's a lot of rules. Essentially, you hear early on that... You know, if you break any of these tiny rules, you end up a night in a box, which is you're put in a box and uh, you stay there for the whole night. And it seems pretty awful. That's it. I'd rather be in the box than to eat 50 uh, eggs that are hard boiled. It's kind of like an outhouse that you just have to sit in all night. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what do we have? So he, so he, uh, he shows up. And he starts to um, meet uh, kind of the leader of all the other uh, prisoners, Dragline, played by George Kennedy. And uh, various things. They have a boxing match where essentially Dragline just beats the hell out of him, but Luke refuses to give up. And it's not then, so much a boxing match as it's uh, – I like how one of the prison rules – or it's not really a prison. It's just kind of a permanent outpost for chain ganging. And – they're like, all right, if you got beef, Saturday afternoons when you fight. That's when you right. settle things. Yeah, that's like one of the rules. That's and it, just handled then. Yeah, it's um, basically there's a lot of uh, Jake LaMotta and Raging Bull you can see in this scene, too. Like, yeah. Yes. It has like a lot, and the whole movie, but especially this scene, has a lot of the same like Christ imagery. Lot, yes. This and, uh, feels so like Paul Schrader I, wrote it at times. I, I would assume that that. Scorsese was like, you know, nodding at this movie in that scene, but I guess I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure either, but it's, I would, I think it's a solid bet. It is big Jake LaMotta energy because this whole, I mean, and that's kind of his thing in the whole movie is that you, you know, he doesn't get knocked down until the very end when he's also knocked down for good. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, you know, he also, like, kind of earns other people's trust by, you know, playing poker and Dragline starts to like him. And then he, you know, does this bet where he can eat 50 hard-boiled eggs in an hour, which is where I think the Christ imagery weirdly shows up when after he wins the bet and he's, like, laying on the table with his arms out and, like, yeah. a, like a you know, Christ pose. Lot of, lot of, lot of crosses in this movie. Yeah. Um, too many, it's I would like argue. That, it's like that parable where Jesus ate all the hard-boiled eggs. Yeah, that old tale from the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you turn um, pe- pebbles into eggs. I that <laughs> all the while, there's um, part of the prison group is this guy named, uh, I think it's Godfrey, who is like the, you know, the, the prison guard guy. And, and he's got these like glasses and he's got a gun and he'll sometimes just take the gun and shoot something and uh, show that, you know, he's just an amazing shot. So uh, Luke's uh, mom dies, uh, which is a bummer, 
But apparently the way they handle it at the old prison is they're worried about the guy whose mom died that they're going to try to escape uh, to to go to the funeral. So they put him in the box. That's his first night into the box. And then that begins uh, Luke trying multiple times to escape to varying degrees of success. But uh, I say varying degrees in that ultimately he doesn't and he gets captured and sent back to the to the jail i think is there three four times he's well there's there's three and at the end it's kind of implied he just died or is a vegetable for the rest of his life because he's shot by the the guard with the aviators right and there's also even more christ imagery too a little bit where that it does seem he escapes the last time with with dragline and it does seem like dragline judas is him and uh you know tells them where they're at and tries to get him to turn himself in in fairness Dragline isn't very smart. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, it definitely is portrayed uh, by Dragline. So ultimately, Cool Hand Luke is killed, and the prison moves on as normal. Except the one difference, I guess, I would say is it looks like Godfrey's gone because Dragline does punch Godfrey in the face, knocking his glasses off. And uh, when they like show another <laughs> another cross at the end, where you can see like the intersection of the road crew working. Uh, Godfrey's not there anymore. So I guess that's the one thing that changed. But essentially, like, ultimately, Luke is a guy who uh, continues to defy authority until his death by that authority. You can't fight the system, man. Right. Just just end up dead. You end up dead, yes. Um, But there's also other things, too, where, like, he is the the other prisoners, who there's, like, a a who's who of people in the the other prisoners. I mean, you have... um, Dennis Hopper, Harry Dean Dennis Stanton. Hopper. Yep, and Harry Dean Stanton would be the big ones. Dennis Hopper, oddly enough, is in one of the episodes that Stuart Rosenberg directed uh, in Twilight Zone. This is a pre-Easy Rider Dennis Hopper, so before he was really famous. Uh, screen debut of Joe Don Baker. Looking, yes. Looking about as svelte as he ever was. Um. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. He's in here. So... That's kind of the movie. I mean, what's weird to me about this... I like this movie quite a bit. Um, what's weird to me is, right, the the two things that kind of, like, hit into, um, you know, pop culture is the egg scene. Can I eat 50 eggs? The failure to communicate line, which is used once by one of the prison guards. Um, is it Godfrey or someone else who says it the first time? I think it's someone else. It's the other guy. It's the southern southern dandy guy who just sits on the porch all day. Right. It's that line, and then it gets said later on when uh, he mocks it, uh, when Luke mocks it, and then he gets shot. Um, It's weird to me. Like, that line, I think, is like, I forgot where, but it's like number, okay, it's number 11 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes list. And, like, you could, like, when you think about, like, that, the fact that this has paul newman in it even the line even calling someone a cool hand luke the whole thing it makes it seem like this movie is like a real cool dude thing but it's like pretty bleak i think this is like an incredibly bleak 1967 movie that just happens to star you know the best looking guy in hollywood yeah it's so i would say that it is it is episodic and has funny moments and kind of predates a decade where that would happen more often i was thinking and it's been a long time since i've seen this movie but i feel like this is kind of like mash 
in that if you had to describe the plot of mash i don't know if i could right the, yeah. mo- the movie not the show and yeah. i love robert altman and i rewatched mash a couple years ago and mm, meh big may for me on that one mash it's it's been 20 years since i've seen mash but i just i do remember it's like there's no real plot it's just kind of things happen right and, uh and to me like i like cool hand luke more each time i watch it i've seen it a um, handful of times now mm-hmm. um it looks great Does uh look great. you know we'll talk conrad about hall it. is the cinematographer of it yeah um and one thing that i've picked up on more is that uh this came out during the height of vietnam Mm-hmm. And this is not set during Vietnam, but it's it's kind of overlooked that Cool Hand Luke is a veteran. And it just, you know, I don't think it's too far of a stress to say it's just that the reason he is how he is, and he's just kind of aimless and getting drunk and chopping down parking meters, is that he's shell-shocked. And that it's kind of a representation of how we just have wars and spit people out back into society and they don't know how to act anymore. Right. And then they just end up in chain gangs eating eggs. And, and also even like his martyrdom to some extent on, you know, like it's, it's interesting. I feel like in that, you know, people don't really like, it takes a while for people to warm up to him. Dragline warms up to him and then everyone else does too. And they really like look up to him. He escapes. He's sort of like constantly fighting the man. And then when at points in we were, it looks like he is beaten down. And I mean, he is beaten down. I mean, the, the stuff that happens to him, uh, you know, like having to like dig that ditch and then they have him redig the ditch and they, they, you know, keep doing stuff to him. Uh, the prisoner, not the prisoners, the guards do to just sort of like beat him down. And uh, the the like other prisoners that are there start to like look down on Luke for like not defying them anymore. And I just find that interesting because like this whole group of prisoners never defy anyone. They always are following the rules. And then when the one guy who is doing it finally gets beaten down, they're just like, like I almost feel like Luke is almost peer pressured in some ways into like he has to be this guy because no one else will and they expect him to be that guy. And he kind of snaps at him after he's he's recaptured and he had sent them this fake photo of him and two girls all yes. dressed up. And he keeps telling them it's fake and they won't believe it. And he kind of snaps at him and just, you know, it's kind of like telling him to get get a life. Stop living through me. Right. But ultimately he does end up just constantly rebelling. And I think part of it is, I think part of it is his nature. And I think part of it is what you said. But I also think part of it is just like, that's his role. You know what I mean? Like, that's what everyone expects of him. And, and, like, everyone just loses all respect for him when it looks like he is totally beaten down and he can't do it anymore. And I think, like, I think that part's – I think that's really sad, uh, but not untrue. Yeah. I can – yeah. They want to – they want the the benefits of living through him, but not the risks. I mean, They're- we love Rebels. We love Rebels, even though – very few of us rebel in any way whatsoever and then the minute someone who is rebellious is no longer we just turn on them so fast yeah that's a good point um so yeah there's uh let's see um okay so chain gangs guys they're bad they're bad i remember like my dad grew up in the south and would talk about uh you know 
there being chain gangs and stuff, but like the, they don't have like a very long history. Like this is like a thing that's mostly in the south, almost entirely in the south. Yeah. Um, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Virginia, North Carolina, Arkansas, Texas, Mississippi, and Alabama. Um, be shocked to hear this, guys. Because of abuses in them, there was reform, and generally they were eliminated in 1955. So, um, probably shortly after this movie takes place, they're eliminated. Yeah, they were, they originated in Reconstruction because the South had been decimated, and they're like, we need some free labor. Right. Hi, um, we used to have free labor. How can we do that again? Yeah, let's just imprison those people and make them do road work. And then, yeah, it, it kind of fell out of favor after the 50s and we built the highways. Uh, but like most fads, it had a little resurgence in the 90s. It sure did. It sure did. By, uh, by what's that guy's name uh, from Arizona? That sheriff? Sheriff, yeah, Sheriff Joe. Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Yes, yeah. reintroduced him in 1995 in Arizona. Um, unbelievable. But there was also, also there was there were a couple of states who uh, were talking about, including Wisconsin with, with uh, Tommy Thompson. Oh boy, um, I didn't know that. I couldn't really find much because I don't think anything ever came of it. Um, one state it never went anywhere, not because it was you know heinous and morally wrong, but because uh, they they're like, well, it's ineffective if they're chained up, and the other side was like, well, if they're not chained up we're unsafe so so there was <laughs> so it was anything to do with the prisoners it was just well they can't work very well if they're chained and yeah, if they're not chained they'll escape it's not a good return on investment yeah boy so yeah but it, it's like it is wild like i feel like chain gangs are a thing that are like in in popular conscious but like didn't really exist for that long if you say chain gang everyone knows what it means right yeah uh but, like, prison labor is still, like, a multi-billion dollar industry in yes. the United States. Like, um, we just moved them indoors to do labor. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I would say in most states, the hourly wage for a, a, pr- a prison laborer, and most of whom are forced to work, um, is, like, somewhere – some states, they get paid nothing. Um, I would – from what I can gather, like the average worker makes about like twenty to twenty-five cents an hour. Yeah, Boy, for prison labor. That's... So, in in a country that jails more people per capita than I think any other country on the planet, um, there they don't have any workplace protection rights. They don't get to pick their work. They get paid next to nothing, literally. Are you saying these the prisoners are taking all our jobs? Well, I'm saying that, like, a lot of the work that needs to get done in our country, um, we basically just throw lock people up for, like, selling weed or whatever and pay them 20 cents an hour, and that's kind of what keeps things right. going. Or two like, years for pulling off the <laughs> parking meters. And, like, and no one, uh, like, it doesn't really get a whole lot of attention, but I, I was kind of encouraged that it seemed like some people were finally realizing how insane this is when they were forcing prisoners to go fight all those forest fires in California like what a year or two ago yeah that's right I forgot um, about like that. I, this really is an unbelievably brutal country <laughs> it's <laughs> disgusting and it, I think maybe more than any other area the place to really see that is in prisons and the way, I mean you know the way we our prison policies and the state of prisons and yeah prison labor 
and one of the reasons I know Duff, you mentioned about like chain gangs because of like there was, but another reason that they get, they stopped doing them is because for tourism, they're like this is a pretty bad look to have people in chains doing work <laughs> while tours drive by. Yeah, wow. So yeah, it's because you know in the fifties it was the birth of the family vacation. They didn't want the kids to be bummed out when they saw. <laughs> I mean, it really was shirt, that shirtless was... drag line putting down sand over tar. Right. Yeah. Um. The uh, the other thing about this movie I want to say is uh, the 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 about um, Lucille. Well, we'll get to Lucille. Yes, that's I that's that's we'll get to that. That is my big complaint on this movie. Um, Is um, the guy uh, Godfrey, the walking boss with the glasses? I I I don't I don't really know. You know, part of me wonders like what his arc is supposed to be about and obviously like i guess the glasses are like you know if you want to go religious which the movie certainly does in a lot of ways it's like the eyes of god or something but the thing i find interesting is watching that character early on we see him the first time he takes his gun out and shoots it's to kill like a hawk that's flying which is an impressive shot and then as we see him continually take out his gun and fire it one thing i thought was interesting is every act he does after that becomes less and less impressive right like it's like he shoots a bunny and then he shoots a snake that someone's holding. And then he shoots a turtle at the end. Like a turtle. I just do, sitting there. I do think shooting the snake is somewhat impressive. But yeah, the turtle, that's that's not really showing off anymore. So then I, I kind of wonder, like, at the end when uh, Dragline, uh, you know, after they shoot Luke and Dragline kind of attacks them, he, he like, punches or chokes Godfrey and Godfrey's glasses fall and, and, and to the ground and Godfrey falls down and when his glasses are off you just see like he's just an old man crawling around in the mud and that's I think why we don't see him again because like the, the sheen of the authority is gone right like this is some incredible guy look at his scary glasses and his shooting but then you know after a year and he gets knocked down you just like oh he's just an old guy crawling around like I feel like in some way it it, it it, at least for that piece of authority kind of undermines it to be like look how harmless is the right word to say but like how it's more about intimidation than anything else i don't know well a charitable reading of that i guess would be if we see luke as some kind of like anti-establishment figure that's meant mm-hmm. to like inspire audiences then maybe what are we supposed to call that loser at the glasses again godfrey godfrey yeah um uh he, I guess, just kind of shows that it's all just like an emperor wearing no, the what is it? The emperor wearing no clothes or whatever right. that right. story is. I'm drawing a blank right now. That that there is really no meaningful authority that can actually stop a collection of people that meaningfully resist. Right, because there never is a collection of people that meaningfully resist. It's just Luke. Yeah, but then uh, a couple years later. Um, they murder Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, so I guess maybe the movie was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my reading of it is that uh, along with uh, Godfrey, you have, like, the, except for what's his name, the kind of Southern Dandy oh, guy. I'm sorry, and Malcolm X. I forgot about him. <laughs> my, my, my apologies. I, 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 I equated Kennedy with Martin Luther King. That's kind of silly, but. Sorry, uh, no, I was going to say that it's just kind of much like how 
our prison private prison pipeline uh is the source of income for local towns now uh these are just just dudes like that one guy's like i've been doing this for 25 years and i never killed a white man and you have like that other guy who kind of like tries to like tell luke he's sorry right yeah yeah that one when he puts him in the box like these dudes are just small town losers and that's kind of that's something that kind of stays the same in america sure does uh and you could also like i guess show if you think about it in like a class way that the people operating that prison like have a lot more in common with the prisoners than they do with the people who are in charge of the prison right they're just you know one drunken parking meter bender away from joining those guys that's sort right. of like the key to like keeping this whole like america ponzi scheme going is to make sure that people never realize that right yeah 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 um yeah and and so and so i think with this like kind of anti-establishment character or you yeah. would, you you seem to bristle at that joke. i mean like he is i guess like i but i i you know, every movie, like, you sort of see it, and so much of it has to do with, like, the context in which you watch it and, like, where you are in your life at that moment, right? Yeah. And I probably saw this last, like, geez, almost 20 years ago. And at the time, I, I liked it, I think in large part because of the, like like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a, I think, a really well-directed, well-shot, well-acted film. All that stuff's great. I don't really think it's very well written, and I don't think it really holds water very well looking at it now. I just see it as, like, so many of these, like, boomer era, and I don't really think many of the creatives involved with it were boomers. Like, Paul Newman wasn't. He's too old for that. Right. But it's certainly, like, the target audience was boomers, right? I don't know about that, actually. I mean, you don't think they're trying to, like, target people in their, like... 20s and thir- I suppose in 1967 I think it maybe was maybe it's like the, the the I guess it's maybe not quite targeted at it's certainly not for teenagers I So boomers are what 46 to 64 roughly Yeah so yeah. they'd be like 20 the oldest ones Yeah you know I I don't know it it seems like it's like the style of it certainly has more in common with like the youth targeted films that come out years a couple of years later doesn't it like, see pretty... i would disagree with that i actually feel like the style of it feels more classic hollywood versus like compare it to like bonnie and clyde or um uh, easy rider i would say i would say probably my my answer to that is i think it straddles the middle you see him playing around with some of those more stylistic um european inspired you know techniques but i i guess it it really like my point would be that i think that like this movie and the graduate i think we're our kind of cousins in my mind watching it now that we have these two characters who are kind of celebrated as these these rebels and these great sort of characters for a new generation as we move into the late 60s and into the early 70s but within the context of the stories and movies themselves like they these characters have no ideology they they see it's almost like ch- childish and i i think duff's statement earlier about like luke as a, a veteran and, and this maybe being a comment on 
the sort of lack of support and and lack of empathy for veterans when they come home. I, I think that that's true, but I think that the movie does not seem... I don't know that the movie seems to believe that, though. I think it's a fair way to read it, but I don't know if that's the intent. It just seems like, like at this time in Hollywood history, like you could just get like a pat on the back and applause for just having characters just simply say no to people that you're not supposed to say no to. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that like does anything for me. Um, and I think it's sort of, and I mean, everyone knows my bone to pick with people of that age, but it, it seems to really, I think sum up people that came of age in this time period where they see themselves as this like ge- rebellious generation but in the end, it's been laid bare that they don't really stand for anything. They just see, like the idea of being rebellious. Well, that I agree, but I don't know if that's the movie's fault. And the only reason I say that is like when we first started talking, we talked about this movie's most known for the eggs and failure to communicate and how cool Cool Hand Luke is. And I feel like that's not necessarily the movie's like ethos at all, but that is what has lived on. Well. But it doesn't seem like you can. I guess then, then like, why is this movie considered great then? If it isn't seen as some kind of like turning point in movie making, a and as this like iconic anti-establishment character, like everything you read about it, that's what they talk about, right? So like, then then what would you say the movie is trying to do then? If well, it isn't I think it is to trying that? to do. I just think like I I think it's. An, I guess my I, I'm agreeing with you, okay. But I guess I, we're we're disagreeing in, in where the disconnect happens, and I feel like, you know, uh, you know, if when you, you said if you if you were to just kind of know what what is most well known about this movie versus what it is, I feel like the movie itself is incredibly bleak, and and it it is pulled away from being I would say not unwatchable but like difficult to watch because. Paul Newman is a great-looking, charismatic star who makes that Luke character someone that you get why people would be drawn to him. All right, well then, but I, then all that's taken out of it is like I could eat fifty eggs. Well, okay, and Th- that that I agree is not the, that that for sure. Okay, that's not the movie's fault at all. No question about it. But I think the movie's tone is so unbelievably uneven, and if the movie is trying to. Pr- create this bleak portrait of what society does to anyone who would say no i would like my first complaint would be then the ending is awful like what are we what is the little smile montage supposed to be for then so i know it's like it changed or something but see my read on that is sort of the and this is this is western rob coming out but just that you know fact versus legend print the legend I think there are some clunky bits in this, that, and the Lucille scene. The Lucille sequence is, here's my argument, here's why the Lucille sequence exists for me. So Lucille sequence is, they're working on the chain gang, and this uh, busty woman comes out there with, like, a low-cut top and starts to, like, wash the car. Strip tease wash her car, as you do in the hot Florida sun. And everyone is, like, hubba-hubbing her. Honestly, do you know why I think that was in this movie? It's because they could. Well, See, I don't even know if it's that. I think it's them being like, oh, by the way, uh, they're not gay. <laughs> I like, I honestly think well, because it's... Uh, it had the opposite effect on me. 
<laughs> it made those guys look very gay to me. But you know what I mean? Like, it's these dudes that are shirtless working in the sun and hanging out in their little room, chilling out all the time. And I feel like they're like, man, we better put some poots in there so that people know these guys aren't gay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. But, like, I mean, Dragline, my- the way he talks about women in this movie, it's like. This guy um, is in the deepest closet that's ever been constructed. I mean, right. I agree. There is definitely sexual tension in this movie I mean, that dra- exists between. It's not even way- subtle that Dragline yeah. wants Newman to be his bitch. And, right. you know, I mean, that's fair. Of all, of all those dudes, like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Paul Newman. Yeah. <laughs> Me not, too, yeah. <laughs> not going to be Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> oh, but man. I think. I mean, I don't disagree totally with the gay thing. I just think it's like, oh, man, we can put tits in movies now. We can have this woman literally rub her breasts against <laughs> this, a, a soapy window. It's genuinely embarrassing to sit there and watch this movie at that car. It goes on car washing so scene. long. And, and like, it ends with, like, oh, how about we have her press her chest up against the passenger side window? It's yeah. like, that, this is, like... You expect you expect like the strip club announcer to come out like let's hear it for Lucio who's up next like I I it it is extremely embarrassing but. it is yeah it is an awful scene that you know could have been maybe like fifteen seconds and feels like it goes on for an hour right I think that's part of it what have just been like they're working and they see this woman and like they're like kind of transfixed by her and like I get it. But you're right. It keeps going, and it turns into like a '90s rap video. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like, what is happening here? Yeah. Um, I-, I would yeah, also I'm- say, like, if you're gonna make uh, Luke like an anti-establishment figure, you should have him rebel in cooler ways than like, hey guys, let's work harder, and they- l- let's get this job done faster. Like, I thought that scene is so lame. The tar scene. Right when they just get done fast, but it's then like, they but then they get some time back at the end of the day. I think that's the point. Yeah. I guess, but like, I mean, if you're in, if you know, I I get what you're saying. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, let's prove that we can be workhorses and do this all the more quickly. But yeah, I, like that they're just going to make you do a road twice as long tomorrow, you moron. But I do think that there is something just to be like the bosses don't know what to just like. Oh, we're done. And now we don't have anything for them to do, so that I mean that's how it's it comes off to me. Uh, I just think right. It's yeah, I, I I see what you're saying, uh, Joe. But I also I read it more as yeah, like what hey well, if we do this we get them afternoon off, which we would never. I know. Get I know any that's, other it's way. quite clear that this is what they're trying to do. Uh, what I'm saying is that's lame. <laughs> like just half-ass it and talk to your buddies. They let you talk. Yeah. Well, you always got to ask. Like, take your shirt off. <laughs> shirt well, off, chief. Boss, boss, take my shirt off. Take my shirt they off, don't boss. really ask, though. Like, they're, like, in the middle, you know, it's just kind of a formality. Well, if they're like, no, you guys keep your shirt on, drag line. Like, yeah. He's, he's yeah, listen, listen, George Kennedy, keep your shirt on, buddy. Um, um, so I, I, I know I'm, I want- I'm oversimplifying it, but I did think there was something beautiful about this movie. One of its rebellious moments is Paul Newman inspiring everyone to, to work really fast and hard. It's like... <laughs> Like I feel like we could do better for like a movie with this aim in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think there are definitely definite missteps. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to quickly say one. that it's pretty funny that uh, everyone remembers Paul Newman in this movie, and George Kennedy is the one who won the Oscar for. I it. think yeah. he's better in this movie than Paul Newman is. 
Like, I mean, they're different. I don't know. It's I different, mean, sure, but like I, I don't, I don't even think I don't know that I would put this in like the top ten of Paul Newman movies. Like, I, I all right, he's that, fine in it, that, but I don't think that, he's that is good. the first like thing you've said that is objectionably wrong. I, I don't, I don't even think that that's hot, that hot of a take. Mm, uh, he's been I, in a lot of movies, and a, been in a lot of movies, a, a, a lot of good ones too, and a lot of great mm, performances. Like I could probably name ten that are. But like, it's this. a pretty spicy take to say it's not in his top ten. Like, I think m- most people like this would be their one or two association right like i the well, only one i I'm, can think I'm, of that i'm not saying it's not as one of his most famous it's clearly is i'm i'm saying like and just in terms of like the pure like um quality of his specific acting performance i i don't i i think i've probably seen 10 movies that i thought he was he was better in doesn't mean he's bad in it just he's been I mean, better I think, a lot better i think this Are movie you, has flaws i think i like it more than you joe but i don't disagree with any of the takes you give in i think this is you know peak newman i don't yeah. know if it's his best but i think it's peak hud's his best i'm with you duff on hud yeah man hud's great hud, hud mind here you know who's you know who's also big on hud is paul schrader yeah he's a, hud he's a hud head uh um, hud and can a tin ro- cat on a hot tin roof i mean i mean you know joe said there's tons of performances right you know the uh the hustler Cars. Yeah. <laughs> Cars. Cars 3. Ver- I, I think the verdict is it would be it's definitely in the top five, if not top three. The What I wanted to say also about George Kennedy is it's funny for people of our age, um, there are probably two big George Kennedy associations. Is One is the Naked Gun. Yep. And the other is, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but do you remember the commercials he did for the... Uh, breath the fresh breath things that like work from the inside and that was their whole breath thing sure breath, breath sure that's it <laughs> like it's i feel kind of bad but that might be my number one association because those oh commercials God. were on i forgot all the about time. breath sure beautiful those, those commercials were on all the time i'm like during like reruns of sitcoms and things like that so sorry george kennedy i know you have a, a body of work that's pretty great but breath sure what a poll Thank you. It works from it, it works from the inside, guys. Like you swallow it, and I don't think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So the other thing I think we should talk about with uh, this movie is 1967. We sort of mentioned already is like a very big year in American movies. Um, it's like the the breakout year for the what'll become known as the new Hollywood. Right. You've got The Graduate we've talked about previously. You've got Bonnie and Clyde. Um, and a lot of times, like, Bonnie and Clyde and I feel like Easy Rider are, like, which is two years later, but still are, like, the two that often get talked about as, like, really breaking things open in Hollywood. Um, They're the most stylistically different. I do think that uh, Cool Hand Luke is closer to old Hollywood, but it's not quite as as stoic for i don't know if that's the right word yeah i mean to be cool hand luke fits closer with like in the heat of the night yeah where like it's uh, it's there are some interesting social things happening but like from like a from like a film standpoint it's it's it he was pretty it's close dude, to like classic and Hollywood. joe said this like it's people who probably wouldn't who didn't consider themselves old hollywood or new hollywood and to kind of bring it back around like these are people who have been working for a while they did twilight zone they did tv they did you know, right other movies 
yeah, so yeah, so Stuart uh, Stuart Rosenberg guy directed this. I mean, not only did you um, did he he was in TV for quite a while. I mean, he did um, Naked City episodes on that, and um, uh, God Decoy was like another show he did, and he did a lot of TV. And then after he had his film career and did uh, I think a little more TV, he did. Uh, I think this is kind of cool. He then uh, started directing or taught directing at the American Film Institute. That's cool. And uh, Darren Aronofsky and Todd Field were two people he uh, taught. So that's neat. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I and, and I think we, we don't need to like get into knowing the whole season. We're going to talk about this, but it's interesting to me how many different directors we're going to talk about that went into TV and did important movies. And like one we're not going to talk about, which um, because we've talked about a lot of his movies already. Um, but Richard Donner also did a bunch of Twilight Zone um, episodes and obviously became a pretty successful film career. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting. Like, I don't – I think it's interesting that even though we're in this era right now of another golden age of television – I mean, Twilight Zone was, was certainly part of that golden or first golden age, but, like, the secondary one. that We're in, like, what, year – 20 on are we and i'm not trying to be contrarian but are we even in it anymore i don't know i don't know just that's that's a good question but i guess what i'm wondering it seems like now we're just in the era of like oh that was pretty good now i'm sick of reading about it (laughs) yeah and part of me wonders like and and we you know i i don't want to like explore this all the way right now but just sort of think about like who came out of tv in the last 20 years to make interesting movies and um I, that list might not exist that I can think of right now. It's because unless you want to get sucked into the Disney machine, there's not many options. I mean, that, that, it, the answer could be as simple as that. There could, it might be just more money in TV at this point. Well, and there's more freedom. Right. Right. Um, so, let's see. Cool hand look. Let's see what else. Oh, um, prison movies. Yeah, I want to ask about this. Prison movies. There's be all sorts of prison movies. And I feel like you could make like a real. I think a movie that this movie reminds me of uh, is Shawshank Redemption. I think there's like a line to be drawn from Cool Hand Luke to Shawshank Redemption, I especially think, the religious overtones. So I think the reason there's not as many prison movies is because after our era of mass incarceration, it got too depressing. <laughs> like, I think it's because in like the last decade or so, um, all the studio executives thought they were going there. I mean, it's just you know, but it is interesting. There's not. It's on TV. It's it's all on TV now. Yeah, like I mean, Oz was the probably or Orange is the New Black. uh, Those were probably the only prison break, (laughs) which somehow went more than one season. When you do get a prison movie, it's usually set in the past. Like it's usually back before prison was bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would I would say it's just, you know, because now it's like uh, to do a movie about prison now is to do a movie about just the not that prison was ever not depressing. But now it's just all about our, you know, mass incarceration, war on drugs, racism. Right. But to, to Joe's earlier point, maybe that's something that needs to be said. Well, a, there was that uh, HBO show a couple years ago that tried to 
to go into that um, where that kid get, got arrested for murder. Oh, the night of the, or the, something yeah, night. with um, The night of, I think, is what it was. Uh, uh, yes. Roz, Roz Med. Yeah, and John Turturro, that show. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. That's that that was, that was a good show. I, I mean, six years ago, but uh, I I don't know anyone who's seen it. But there was that "Let's Go to Prison" movie. Remember that Let's, about no. fifteen years ago? Oh, with um, Will Arnett, Steve, Steve Odenkirk, Odenkirk. Let's go to prison. Sure enough, wow. Uh, okay, it was Bob Odenkirk. Uh, I feel like Steve Odenkirk did something like this too, but. Uh, yeah, starring Dax Shepard, Will Arnett, and Chi McBride. I guess I yeah, I I think there is still like prison set stuff, but yeah, I, I think it's all on on TV now. One other thing I'll say as we kind of wrap uh, this up to bring it back into the Twilight Zone is I did a, a bit of a deep dive into um, into the Twilight Zone into uh, Rod Sterling. Um, yeah, all timer. Yeah. And so one of the things it was fun that I didn't realize is that he had kind of uh, also uh, was in the military and for sure had PTSD. Um, and he, uh, he, he would, I didn't realize he started off writing like, you know, kind of uh, teleplays that were kind of haughty in their messages and stuff. And he would, he kind of learned that uh, it was really difficult to get messages across because uh advertisers yeah he hated advertisers he wrote requiem for a heavyweight which is usually regarded as one of the great uh tv dramas of the the early days yep that's yep and uh part of the reason he one of the big reasons motivations for creating the twilight zone is that with science fiction you can work with allegories and um you know moral and political stories and and it could be easier to do from an advertising standpoint. He was quoted as saying, a Martian can say things that a Republican or Democrat can't. Yep. And uh, I just find that, like, fascinating. That like, And, I, and this is like I didn't realize until I started, like, well, Duff, we talked about it with our Twilight Zone, the movie episode a while ago, a uh, long time ago. Um, but, like, that, I, did, I just didn't realize how prestige TV-ish Twilight Zone really is or was. First, I just thought, like, honestly, my thought was like, oh, isn't it just silly aliens? I mean, the only the only reason we're still talking about it because because it was an anthology, it had to be made on the cheap, and some of the effects are not great. But it was a who's who of writers and directors and actors of the yes. day. Yeah, Rod Serling was like any sane human should. He came back from war and just thought that war was an absurd, awful concept. He was very anti-war. He was very uh, into social justice. He wrote a lot of stuff in the Twilight Zone, and I've read some of his short stories just talking about how we need to keep the concentration camps open to see and have them be used testaments to the horror that can happen. Um, there's two things Rod Serling loved, uh, social justice and cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loved cigarettes. Cool. There's never you never not see him with a cigarette. Oh, there's a reason. I don't even know if he lived beyond fifty. He was pretty young. He fifty. Smoked, he died at fifty. He smoked like three or four packs a day. All right. So here's a question. I want you guys to be honest about it. Okay. If you were in a fight, real fight, mm-hmm. like a, a dragline loop yes. fight. 
would you and you got knocked out you got you got knocked and you hit the ground mm-hmm. would you stay down or would you stand up um i i yeah i would get up i don't really have any doubt about that i think i would get up too and i think i think it's mostly because i'm stupid <laughs> and in that moment would be like well i have to get back up i don't think i would be smart enough or have enough uh I would have too much pride, and I would just keep. I think. I think I like. And I. And, and as I say that, I'm. I think. Feel like everyone listening is probably like, that's not true. But I <laughs> honestly think I would keep getting up. Uh, and maybe that's what everyone thinks when they watch a movie or. A scene oh like yeah, I, I think everybody underestimates how much getting in a fight sucks. But I, I also know I'd be really mad. I. I think one. I would do one of two things. I would either just <laughs> immediately like curl into a ball and try to uh, protect my face and genitals. Um, or, or two is I would immediately just like try to fight dirty and go for the legs. Like I would just try to take. Oh, I would be such a dirty fighter in an actual fight. No doubt about. Do you guys have anything else to say about Cool Hand Luke or Seth Rosenberg? Not Seth Rosenberg, Stuart Rosenberg. (laughs) Seth Rosenberg. (laughs) Seth Rosenberg. Oh my God. Uh, Stuart Rosenberg. The other movie he did that I have not seen that I've heard is um, the ones I've heard that are good is The Laughing Policeman. Which has uh, Walter Matthau in it, that and the Pope intriguing. of of Greenwich Village. I've heard Pope of Greenwich Village is good, but mm-hmm. yeah. the only the only one I've seen besides this is the Amityville Bore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the Amityville Borer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, guys, next week we're gonna do we're gonna go back into the Twilight Zone. Okay, we're do another. Uh, I would argue probably the most famous director that we're going to talk about, uh, Don Siegel. Prolific. And, uh, very prolific. Clint Eastwood's boy. Uh, and we, well, actually, yeah, Clint, and, actually, Clint Eastwood is his boy. He's kind of his mentor. Yes, yes, which I'm sure we'll get into. And I thought about choosing a, a Clint Eastwood um, movie, but I didn't want to do I didn't want to do Dirty Harry because I feel like, what are we going to say about Dirty Harry? Like, that's the big one. Like, what are you going to say? Um and then I really, really, really thought, guys, about two mules for Sister Sarah. Um, the pre- the premise of that movie is hilarious. <laughs> but ultimately, I want to do a western, a different western, and I we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about the shootest, which allows us to talk about John Wayne and James Stewart and Ron Howard all at once. I mean, could you ask for anything better <laughs> than that incredible trio? Yep. <laughs> including Ron Howard. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about The Shooters, which came out in uh, 1976. We're going from the 60s to the 70s next week. And, uh, you know, continuing into uh, this in the important work of The Twilight Zone and the directors who worked on it. And, and. <laughs> we're, we're still going. I always post credit sequence. <laughs> I always forget to say this because when I listen to other podcasts, they always say this, you know, and we, we do it sometimes. We say, oh, if you want to listen to more, we go to patreon.com slash the midnight boys. And I'm going to say it. I just did. Give but us your also, money. But also, I'm going to say even more important than your money, even more important than your money mm. and easier. What's more important than money? You, if you like this show and other stuff we do, you should tell people about it. Oh, yeah. You tell them to sh- give us their money. Yeah. <laughs> You should share it. You should say, hey, I – did you know – did you know about Seth Rosenberg? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Rosenberg? 
Did you know about uh, boy? They really had interesting things to say about Cool Hand Luke in the Twilight Zone. You should listen to this. Uh, yeah, you should share. Tell people about this show. There, there. Now, the, now we're actually going to roll the credits. All right. Bye. <laughs>